It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 34. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. It's game week for the University of Minnesota football team, and it's also game week for everyone who covers the Golden Gopher football team for great fans like you. So we're going to gather a few of those fine folks and get a season preview as the opener is set for Thursday night against New Mexico State. Our Go Gopher Podcast reporters roundtable this week includes three guys who know the team inside and out, and I hope you enjoy their insight and their analysis. We have with us from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the man who covers Gopher football there is Randy Johnson, longtime writer in the Twin Cities. From Gopher Illustrated, we have the great Ryan Burns, and we have the Gopher guru, one of our favorites. He does a great job of providing film study and talent evaluation to Gopher fans. It's the talented Daniel House. A reporter's roundtable on the Go Gopher podcast, episode number 34. Our Go Gopher podcast podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone, and True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. You can get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. They also sponsor our Gopher Football Weekly with PJ Fleck radio show. Our thanks to the great folks at Sunbelt Business Advisors. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. Tony's a big-time Gopher fan, and he's hyped up. The football season is almost here. And the newest partner is here for us as well on the Go Gopher podcast. We have Affinity Plus, Federal Credit Union, so glad to be affiliated with Affinity Plus, a local Minnesota credit union providing all of your banking needs, including a top-ranked mobile app. And we have some exciting news about our partnership we'll share with you next week. I invite you to subscribe to our podcast. It's free to click the subscribe button. You can listen at any time for free. You can also go back and listen to any of our previous shows, including last week's podcast, where John Malay from the Minnesota State High School League and I held court for more than an hour. We had some fun with that last week, telling a lot of good stories. This week, it's all Gophers all the time. The 2022 college football season for the Gophers is near, and we preview with three experts who cover the team every day. Daniel House, Ryan Burns, and Randy Johnson will give us the content you're waiting for. But first, a word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans, this is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900. Or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Uma, go Gophers. It's episode number 34, the Go Gopher podcast, and we have a reporter's roundtable. Thrilled to be joined by three of the guys who follow this program very closely from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Randy Johnson, the beat writer. And uh, Randy, good to see you. Yeah, you too, Mike. Yeah, we're getting close to football season. Ryan Burns with Gopher Illustrated. Burnsy, excellent to see you. Always good to see you, Grimmer. Yes, indeed. And Daniel House, the gopher guru, the man who breaks down all the film for us. Uh, Daniel, always good to see you, and welcome to the Go Gopher podcast. Nice to see you, Grim. It's officially game week now. We got you, your voice coming over the uh, pod. It doesn't get any better than that. We're ready to roll, man. I am excited. I usually don't like to, uh, you know, let the summer get away too quickly. But um, you know, the the uh, the benefit of a, a summer coming to a close is uh, one: the weather cools down a little, and I'm more of a I'm not a cold weather guy. I'm a cool weather guy. I'm not a hot weather guy. And football season. So there's nothing better than football season. So on a scale, Burnsy, of one to ten, how excited are you for this? a golden go for football season to get going 
10. I mean, I'm tired of of prognosticating. I'm tired of talking about the hypothetical, the theoretical. I want to see actual gopher football played so that we can see how good and how special of a chance that this 2022 season has to be for this Minnesota team. But the beautiful part about it is, Grimmer, we're almost there. We are. We're just a T-minus two days as we record the Go Gopher podcast here. Daniel, are you uh, an equally equally, uh, as a 10 or or are you going to be a 9 here for us? Football is always a 10 for me, but I feel like I'm at that stage where I'm player or coach and it's the end of camp and everybody's sick of just hitting each other. Now they actually get to play some football. We get to analyze something else. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. And Randy, how about you? Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for it. It's it's always good when a football season starts. It's uh, I always throw in... uh, Kenny Chesney's the boys of fall just to get pumped up for it. Yeah, right. There you go. Country music. Nothing better, right? Nothing better. Well, uh, it was an interesting quirk in the schedule. You know, New Mexico State uh, will have now played in Huntington Bank Stadium three times as much as Indiana has uh, after this game on uh, on Thursday night. Um, and it's just kind of this weird thing that was a three-for-one or something. And then when Jerry Kill got hired, all of a sudden it became a much more intriguing matchup. And I think, you know, that 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 part of the storyline has been talked about, you know, ad nauseum here over the last uh, few, you know, weeks certainly uh, leading into this one and a lot of different storylines on that angle. Um, so we don't have to talk about that. I want to talk about the Aggies themselves in one of these weird quirks of the schedule. One, Jerry Kill's coming back, but two, they've already played a game now. Usually you hear coaches say, well, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, with uh, particularly when it's a new coaching staff and a new roster, what to expect on these season openers. Well, the Gophers, I think it's a benefit. And Daniel, let's start with you. How big of a benefit is it for this Gopher coaching staff and players to have now gotten at least one game film to study from last Saturday, a Nevada win over the Aggies, 23-12. to 12. Yeah, that's a huge edge, especially with a new coaching staff at New Mexico State. You have no film. Uh, Kurt Shiraka was talking about that, just the uncertainty of, like, what looks will you get? Is the coaching staff leaning on a certain influence from the past? You're going back through all those games, but now New Mexico State puts out some film, gives you a little bit of a feel for what they're going to do, and that helps when you're trying to prepare for the game. I mean, you look at... Some of the things that they were doing, RPO, quick play action, uh, just being able to mix in some pistol looks. And they they did a f- few different things with their rushing schemes and then a 4-2-5 defense uh, for the most part. So that's kind of the, the basis of what New Mexico State will probably do. And Ryan, what did you see from the Aggies when you watched that game that uh, the Gophers will have to keep a particular eye on, if anything? Well, Grimmer, I think you're going to have to be on the lookout for maybe two different quarterbacks that New Mexico mm-hmm. State's going to play. Uh, one's more of a mobile type of quarterback by the name of Diego Pavia, uh, a young man who is very Victor Viramontes esque in terms of turning the ball over too many times. He had four <laughs> turnovers and maybe half the snaps. And then they put in what I like to think of as Max Shortell Light and uh, and a true freshman quarterback that they have, six foot four, a redheaded young man that. Uh, maybe he has a better arm, but he's still a true freshman. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Joe Rossi has prepared because they're two, I think, different type of quarterbacks. This is still a Jerry Kill offense where they're going to want to use the quarterback in the run game a little bit. But I am very intrigued to see, is Jerry Kill going to throw a true freshman to the Wolves in his second career game at the collegiate level? Or is he going to mix in maybe a more experienced option in Diego Pavia who couldn't stop turning over the ball against Nevada? It should be an interesting uh, yeah, uh, opportunity there. I agree. you probably see both those guys, I would think, at some point on Thursday night. Um, uh, one thing I noticed, I don't know, Randy, if you watched that game on Saturday, was was how vanilla Nevada was in winning the game. Holy cow. I mean, people talked about the Gophers last year occasionally maybe running the ball a little too much, but Nevada, that was you know handoff, handoff, handoff. And then they did get the running game going, and, and really, to me, that was probably the difference in the game. So I, I wonder, too, just... Just what uh, what you know on both sides of the ball. Uh, Kirk Shirak has seen what was maybe available for Nevada, and two as as Burnsy mentioned, uh, Joe Rossi now trying to figure out going against a, a, a what looked to me at least as an amateur uh, when it comes to film study a pretty vanilla approach by Nevada enough just to to win the game. Randy, what did you think? Yeah, you, you see when the Nevada gets those five turnovers and only has twenty three points to show for it, it, it you know they were playing it pretty tight to the vest and. Uh, what I saw too was was a um, 
defense from the uh, New Mexico State that was playing pretty hard. I, I think, you know, that's not going to be, a, um, you know, effort's probably not going to be a question with, with a kill coach team. I think, he'll, you know, we'll have them uh, ready to play. Uh, you know, well, they they won't have the talent necessarily, but I, I think they'll, they'll show a decent amount of heart. I thought, uh, and again, not to talk about the other Jerry Kill stuff, but I thought in watching that game, I remember Jerry being pretty feisty on the sideline, but am I wrong? I don't remember him being quite that feisty, and maybe it's because I have other things going on during the game, so I could be wrong, don't feel bad. But, man, he was um, he was going uh, crazy on just about everything. I did men- I did notice at one point Tim Beck, his veteran offensive coordinator, not the Tim Beck who was at Nebraska, who's now I think at South Carolina, but the Tim Beck who was at Pittsburgh State, um, he had his glasses on. He's looking at his play sheet. Jerry's going nuts, and he turns, and he just says, calm down. It was, I'm like, whoa, that's unbelievable. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jerry was that way. Um, I know. I mean, obviously, he would get agitated at times. But, um, Bernsey, what do you think? I thought Jerry was uh, obviously trying to establish and lay down the law with his coaching staff and players. Well, I, I think I remember it a little bit differently. Uh, okay. I think I remember Jerry being pretty uh, exacerbated on the sidelines at many different times throughout his Minnesota <laughs> tenure. So him seeing in his first games in Las Cruces, one of your favorite places to ever visit, Mike Rim, Yes, uh, I remember uh, Jerry being pretty pretty worked up on the sidelines. And I think I remember a time or two, whether it was Tracy Clays, Jay Savell, Matt Limegrover, maybe having to turn to him and say, we, we need to get it in check here. Like, I don't. I think you're doing more harm than good with the officials here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. It, it probably. I just, you know, it's the first time I've really watched uh, him not coach a game that I'm announcing. So, and I try to observe most everything, but there's a lot going on. So, uh, all right, I'm not going to argue with the Burnsy. Uh, Daniel, you're going to side with Burnsy probably too on that, huh? Yeah, he got he got very fiery. He he liked to really ride the refs too. I remember yeah. that a lot from his tenure here. But I I didn't have as long uh, up close and personal experience with Kill because I hadn't started covering the program yet. But just off observation, watching the games, I agree. Yeah, I I remember this. Randy um, was when when Jerry Kill and his staff first got here that first spring. I remember going to practice and going, man, these guys are crazy. Like, they were screaming at everybody. And then the next spring, it was a little less than the next spring. And clearly, looking back, it was mostly to establish, you know, a, a, a way about it. You know, this is this is the way, you know, and everyone uses the term culture. But, you know, at that time, and what would that have been, 2011, I guess, um, that was their way of doing it. And I'm sure that he's going through similar stuff now that you got to set a tone. And uh, I thought he was setting the tone in that game Saturday, it looked like. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of the old Denny Green and his new sheriff in town yeah. situation. But yeah, you're, you're gonna try to put your stamp on thing, and you you, you want to let uh, people know who who's in uh, power in the power position and everything. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. All right, well, let's talk about this Gopher team a little bit. Um, a, a few of the storylines, and some of these have been discussed, and maybe you guys have uh, you know uh, varying opinions. But um, I think everyone is on the same page that that Kirk Shiraka coming back. Um, one, that's one of the big storylines. Obviously, we'll see what the ultimate outcome is of that. But two, I think most everyone is is um, is in a, if you're a Gopher fan, a happy mood about that, uh, given that the offense hadn't been maybe as good the last couple of years. And uh, Daniel, we'll start with you because I know you're the you're one of the film guys. What kind of things can Gopher fans expect to see? Um, you know, trying to get that pass game maybe a bit more proficient than it was a year ago, which was a frustrating thing for a lot of fans because they had a veteran quarterback that they didn't seem to want to rely on very much. And now this reunion with Tanner Morgan and Kirk Shiraka, what what kind of things can we see? Yeah, that's the most fascinating thing for me entering this season is how does Kirk Shiraka evolve his offense? He's at West Virginia soaking things in, watching a lot of film, NFL college level, talking to coaches. So I would expect to see some different things. Like, of course, you'll see the RPO game and that will be a big part of it. But how do you build off of that? What are some things you can do when teams are starting to get very sophisticated with how they take away those RPOs? Are you able to blend in some different wrinkles that – teams maybe don't expect and then be able to tie the play action game into that because Tanner Morgan, that's one of his strengths is being able to throw really well off play action. So I'm expecting maybe some wrinkles that we haven't seen before. So I'm looking forward to like the first three big 10 film breakdowns just to get kind of a vibe of where the system's going and how they can sort of build off of that for the future games. Because I think that's a huge part of play calling is like being able to call 
you know, plays maybe in week three, four, and five, and then find ways at the end of the year to be able to build off of those when teams start senior tendencies. Bernsey, your thoughts? I think House uh, did a pretty good representation of it. I think the interesting thing that I want to see just more 30,000 foot level is how can this passing game get back on track? It's the biggest reason why Mike Sanford is now at Colorado and Kirk's Rock is now back is the passing game hasn't been acceptable the last two seasons. Now, I don't know how many, you know, how good the improvement will be. Uh, I don't think that they have necessarily two NFL receivers like they did in Tyler Johnson or Rashad Bateman, but I think they have three guys that they can count on and Chris Otmabel, who has been Mr. Consistent throughout his gopher football career. And then they're expecting jumps forward from Dalen Wright and Brevin Span Ford. And that's where you look at Dalen Wright specifically. He only played 25% of the snaps last year, you know, because for a myriad of different reasons. Well, mm-hmm. if he plays 50, 60, 65% of the snaps, think of the amount of impactful plays he had last year, whether it was against Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin at the end of the year, on 25% of the snaps. And the same thing goes for Brevin Span Ford, who I think uh, is the best pass catching tight end option they've had since Max Williams. So, it's going to come down to Kirk Sharaka, but it's also going to come down to can he get Tanner Morgan playing more consistently? Can he get the re- the pass catching options play more consistently? And then how does the offensive line with four new starters up there pass protect around Tanner Morgan? Yeah, and Randy, I know you've done some stories on Kirk Sharaka from a personality standpoint. It seems to me like he's, um, he, it's like the time stood still. It looks like pretty much the same guy. I know Daniel mentioned that you know he's been at West Virginia and Penn State and likely is going to probably bring a sliver of each of those with him. But uh, what has your impression been of this uh, reunion, so to speak, uh, observing it and covering it? You know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, time uh, has been described as seamless. and It, it looks that way. I, I'm I'm really interested to see the uh, the interaction between PJ and Kirk again. Uh, basically, this will be their ninth year together coaching. Uh, if I go back to the 2018 game against Indiana, uh, late in the fourth quarter, tied 31-31. Uh, they're on the headsets, and uh, Kirk goes to PJ. You want uh, you want to end this game right now? And PJ has them called. The, they call the uh, slugger out to uh, uh, Rashad Bateman. Uh, D back bites on it, 67 yard touchdown pass to win it. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. I, th- I think you know, it'll be interesting to see if we uh, we see Kirk being uh, more of a sounding board for PJ and, and maybe at times Kirk overruling PJ in a way. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there's probably enough trust build up between those two guys that that there's going to be they're they're going to be good for each other hopefully. And and thinking back to that 2019 season and and we've all, you know, were there and watched it and when you think about what a lot of the questions, as Bernsey mentioned, are how proficient and how much improved can the passing game be? And sometimes we forget when you go back to that 2019 season, um, it was a feeling out process. If you remember those close games early, the passing game was not very proficient. Teams were loading the box. They were saying, "Look, if Tanner Morgan, uh, Tanner Morgan, um, he's going to have to beat us." And uh, you know, when he went, the season to me changed because you know Fresno State's, the South Dakota State's, the Georgia Southerns are they're um, you know they're they're crowding the line of scrimmage, daring Minnesota to do stuff. And then, if you remember at Purdue, uh, they're putting eight guys in the box, and Tanner goes, what, 21 for 22 for three-something and four touchdowns, and Bateman has, you know, we knew Bateman was good. We saw that in the South Dakota State game, but Bateman has a game, and uh, I think even Altman Bell had some plays in that game, if memory serves, and obviously Tyler Johnson. And the very next week, uh, that game changed everything because the very next week, I believe it was Illinois came to town, and they're like, "Boy, Tanner Morgan, we got to stop him." They play a nickel, and Minnesota runs for three thirty on him. Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks, I think, were both over hundred. I'm not even sure if Mo played that day, maybe a little. It was just one of those weird uh, deals that all of a sudden, and that's what they talk about with balance. The question this off season, how are you going to be more balanced? And their answer, it's just one man's opinion, is is uh, look if we can throw thirty and. And, and run for 30 and get 250 and 220, beautiful. You'll take that. But what was the key to me in 2019 is what their goal is here in 2022, and that is to be able to be proficient in both so that when the game dictates you have to throw to win, you can throw to win. And if the game dictates that Illinois, for some reason, decided we're going to play nickel after nobody else did, uh, 
and then we're just going to hand the ball off to Rodney Smith and run for 330 yards and win. And last year they didn't have that because when it came time to try to win a game through the air, um, it, it, as baffling as it was, because you had a fifth-year quarterback who at one point was all-conference, they just didn't feel, for whatever reason, they wanted to put it in his hands. Um, I think that to get back to that, um, and as, as Ryan, you mentioned, you know, there's not a Bateman, there's not a Johnson, but look, there's there's some talent. I, I, I think that's one of the underrated part is the pass-catching options they have. You mentioned Wright, you mentioned Span Ford. Obviously, we know what Chris Altman-Bell can do, and if uh, Daniel Jackson stays healthy and you see the emergence of the speedster, Mike Brown, Stevens, and others. Anyway, point is, balance doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's beautiful if it does, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to have 200 and 200. It just means like they were in 2019 post the Purdue game, if we got to throw to win, we'll throw to win. If you got to run to win, you run to win. If you got to do both, you do both. And we just didn't see that much last year. No, and they didn't really have the option to do it. I mean, you yeah. think about the Bowling Green and Illinois losses, they couldn't figure out a way to throw the football. And you mentioned in 2019, they had figured out a way to scheme up or whatever it may be with personnel to throw the football. They could run it really well last year, and they almost won the West doing that, even without anything in the passing game. Well, if they're going to end up taking the next step and winning the West this year, it's because, to your point, they have shown at some point once October gets here, or even against that in that final game of September against Michigan State, that they can throw the football. And that's going to be the biggest thing. I don't know that you'll see it against New Mexico State or Western Illinois and maybe not even Colorado, but they have to prove that if this is going to be the year they get over the hump, they've been close in 19, they were close in 21 to win the West, it's going to be, to your point, that they have the option to whatever the game plan dictates that week, if they need to have the option that if they need to throw for 250 or 300 yards, they need to be able to do so. Yeah, no doubt. Anything else, guys, on that side of things? I would say it's a situation, too. You can't can't always count on the offensive line to control the game like they have the past few years. The new line this year, you you look at all the times over the years they've just, uh, you know, run the clock so much and and kept uh, the opponent's offense off the field, helping their own defense. So that, you know, you can't count on that all the time, and you have to be able to pass. Yeah. And Daniel? I would say I I don't like to use the word balance. I like to say multidimensional because that's how football works. It's like if they're base personnel, are you able to throw out of that? Are you able to, you know, when they're dedicating defenders in the box, are you able to win matchups on the outside and create explosive plays? Because explosive plays is the name of the game. If you can create, you know, three or four explosive plays a game, you know, you're going to be in really good shape. Ideally, you want to be over four, but – I mean, you look at what the Gophers were able to do in 2019, you set it perfectly. I mean, when they're dedicating coverage resources, you're able to run the ball into lighter boxes. And when they're in base personnel loading the box, you got to be able to, you know, take the top out the defense, get creative with your passing concepts. So it's like finding that balance and taking what the defense is giving you. And that's where I think the preparation comes into play. And Shiraka, finding all those little details the little wrinkles uh, during film study, those add up and help you kind of understand what you're going to see in the games. No doubt. Uh, One other big storyline, we kind of mixed Tanner Morgan in with that in terms of the progress, and no doubt that that passing game is going to have to get going. But the running game, last year they went through all the running backs and still ran the ball beautifully. You know, obviously you had an offensive line that had all kinds of starts and all kinds of experience, and now you've got Muhammad Ibrahim and Trey Potts, the top two guys back after injury. Uh, Randy, how concerned, if at all are you that those two guys can I mean you, I mean obviously you never know it's a wild card but that they can carry most of the load here for for a 12 uh, game season yeah you, you know you got to be concerned a bit you, you know you, you want to see it in action you, we've seen it in tra- training camp a bit uh, they each took contact they each uh, from talking to a lot of people it sounds like they look they seem fine uh, now you know they got to do it in a game now it's it's we'll see what happens and then as it ramps up into the big town now it's they're going to need at least two of them this year and uh, pretty much every year. So uh, basically we'll, we'll find out it's, it's, but it is a question mark. Yeah. And if they can stay healthy, they're going to be fine. Um, but there is some depth concern there, right? Because you lost Kai Thomas, the bowl game MVP and, and you lost Bucky Irving as well. Ryan, uh, what's behind there? Obviously Bryce Williams. I mean, that guy just keeps showing up and when he's asked, he does the job. I mean, he, you know, and he's got some breakaway speed. We know he's maybe the fastest of that group of running backs. Um, so he's also back from injury. So maybe I should throw him into that trio of all three of them injured last year, all three of them kind 
kind of coming back. What's behind that group now? Well, I'm just hoping that the angry running back God who decided that the go for football running back room was going to be the one that he smited last year. I hope he's moved on to somewhere else uh, because I would enjoy seeing one final season of Mo Ibrahim, 500 plus collegiate carries over five yards of carry on those. Uh, we saw Trey Potts uh, in his limited action, those three, four game span. I think he was leading the Big Ten in rushing after those three or four games. And then he unfortunately goes down. But if they do see some guys in front of them like those two nicked up, I think you would see Bryce Williams, who has been Mr. Consistent there. They also get uh, Preston Jellin back off of injury. I think he would have helped out last year. But I know the guy everybody wants to talk about is Zach Evans, uh, someone that is a true freshman, someone that came in early and I think he impressed in spring ball I think the thing that's fun to watch with Zach Evans and why Minnesota was able to get him out of Texas was uh, he had a knee injury during his junior season I think there were some question marks about what is his durability he goes and has a great season in 6A Texas football and Minnesota is able to get him signed but his ability as a freshman to play through contact is impressive where he can take a hit maintain his balance and keep going and so that's where we saw last year they needed Bucky Irving. They needed their freshman running back, Kai Thomas. Well, if something goes down, from what I've seen anyway, and these two gentlemen can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel pretty good that if it does get down to running back four, running back five this year, that they can at least have not a significant drop in play if Zach Evans needs to go in the ballgame. Yeah, and Daniel, I thought he had a nice spring game. He made that great catch, kind of looked like Christian McCaffrey, not to throw that, you know, not to throw that expectation on him, but you know, it was a McCaffrey-like kind of reach behind one hand, uh, pull it into the hip, and then and then get some yards after the catch. So he, it looks like he's got some versatility too. Yeah, he has some versatility, and the contact balance is the big thing. Just being able to stay on his feet and you know keep his feet moving through contact, and also the acceleration, just being able to hit the second gear when he hits the second level. But he also has really good feel. Like when you watch him run, he he waits for his blockers to set up, and several runs we saw during the spring featured that. So you know, being able to use him out of the backfield too, he seems like he's growing in that area. So if you can add some versatility, that's something I'm watching for within the Gophers' offense this year. Is how do they incorporate the running backs into their passing game because I think that's often a layer that some offenses don't take complete advantage of and Minnesota might do some more of that this year. Should be fun, no doubt about it as uh, we're ready for the opener on Thursday night. It's an 8 o'clock kickoff. Uh, there are some tickets still remaining, although it sounds like uh, you know they continue to, to uh, get sold. They have a state fair special going. I think 20 bucks a pop in, in certain areas of the stadium, so uh, hopefully that uh, will get filled up under the lights on Thursday. Uh, we've arrived at our promotional portion of the podcast, so uh, let me talk about our friends at Affinity Plus here for a moment. They are low Local Credit Union, proudly serving Minnesota since 1930. If you're a current Gopher student or a proud Gopher alum, you are eligible to join this financial. It wants to build a meaningful banking relationship and put you first, and they really trust and want to make that relationship with the Gophers and Gopher students and alums. You can meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide, including there's one just down the street from the stadium uh, right on University in Minneapolis. You can learn more or find out all the ways to connect. You can visit affinityplus.org dash go gophers. And of course, it's the Go Gopher podcast, so that makes sense. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. They also uh, sponsor our Gopher Talk segments through the Gopher Athletic Department. You see those on social media. Uh, as I mentioned, it's it's the promotional portion of the show as well, so I'll give each of you guys a quick chance to tell everybody how to find your stuff. Randy, I know, hey, you just subscribed to the newspaper, right? I mean, people still do that, for gosh sakes. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely do that, uh, you can do that and then uh, start to and uh, slash gophers and that'll find the all the gophers coverage that we, we have. Yep. And what's your Twitter? Uh, RJ at RJ Strib. Gotcha. Very good. And Ryan, how do we uh, get all of your great info? Pennies. It's oh. just pennies, right? It's <laughs> just pennies a day. If you want to follow me on the Twitter machine, it's at Ryan Burns MN. If you want to check out my work, it's gopherillustrated.com. You can become a member for just 100 pennies, 10 dimes, 20 nickels. Uh, it's one dollar for thirty days to get behind the paywall. It's a it's a beautiful place to be, Grimmer. Yes, it is. It sure is. I uh, I, I love how you uh, sell that too with the with the pennies on the dollar. And Daniel House, our Gopher Guru. How can we find out and read all of your great stuff? 
you can check out my Twitter account at Daniel House NFL, and then website is gophersguru.com, and you can get access to the $5 a month subscription package, which includes like all the film breakdowns, feature writing, different things that I put out during the season. So very excited for the year. Lots of cool stuff on the horizon. So $5 a month, what is that? 5,000 pennies, 500 pennies? I can't keep track of it, but just a few pennies. That's it, right? I just I just keep the numbers around. Yeah, go, that's $5, perfect. dollars really easy. Five bucks. Very affordable and great coverage for sure. All right. Uh, we got a few minutes left here in the podcast, so I'm going to go through just a few quick questions, and we'll do a true roundtable segment here, uh, a little bit rapid fire. Um, I will start with Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune. Uh, if the Gophers want to end up where they want to end up, and let's say that's Indianapolis, Indiana in early December, what is the one biggest key that has to happen? I would say development of both the offense and defensive lines. Uh, they've they've lost a lot both sides, and they were you know they, they, were, they were very physical units the past couple of years. Uh, I think they need to show that they can approach the level they had last year. All right, Daniel. I would say the defensive line, specifically defensive tackle, just interested to see how that position group comes together. Kyler Baugh from Houston Baptist, does he become a really key contributor and fit well in the defensive scheme? Because last year, I mean, the pocket push from inside was a really big portion of that defense, being able to collapse pockets and then the edge doing a nice job of keeping the quarterbacks contained. But, you know, the strength of the defense is a little bit different this year where the secondary is really good. So you'll probably play some more man coverage, send more blitz pressure. So philosophically, you know, strength wise, Joe Rossi's going to adapt around the personnel. So still, you got to be able to stop the run. That's the most important element of this defensive scheme, getting people behind the sticks. So I just want to see how the defensive tackle position comes along. Otherwise, you know, the depth on defense is really impressive. And I think offensively, the offensive line has been working behind the scenes to, you know, build that chemistry, which I think that could take some time early on in the season. But the good news is you kind of have three games to get all that together before Big Ten play. Yep. Ryan? You know, House kind of hit on the offensive line, and I do have questions with four new starters up there. But I think the biggest maybe philosophical question I have is, who are the stars? Because if you're going to get to Indianapolis, you have to have some stars. And we saw that in 2019 when they went 11 games. Well, you had Antoine Winfield, Carter Coughlin, Kamal Martin, Rashad Bateman, um, you know Tyler Johnson. Well, who are the stars of this 2022 team? Because I think Fleck and Rossi and Chirac have all talked about the amount of depth that they have, and that's great, and that's going to be important. But you need some stars to emerge. You know you have Muhammad Ibrahim is going to be a big part of it. But defensively, is it Tyler Newbin taking another step forward? Is it Mariano Sori Marin in his final year taking a step forward, being a Jack Gibbons type of player for that defense? Is it Thomas Rush? Is it Trill Carter? I mean, there are a lot of names I could tell you, and we went even offensively with Dalen Wright and Brevin Spad Ford. They need some stars to emerge because that's how you're going to win some of these key games against Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, Penn State, those big games in the schedule is stars play out in big games. And yeah. I want to see from this team, if they're going to get where they want to be in Indianapolis, they're going to need some stars to emerge. Playmakers indeed. You're, you're right. So I, I went on this topic uh, more pragmatic than you guys, so less strategic. And the biggest key to success for me is to get to Indianapolis, you look at the schedule, they are going to have to pull off at least two upsets. They, they, they. When you think about at Wisconsin, think about at Penn State, at Michigan State. Still not sure about at Nebraska, but I think there's a chance they're an underdog there, and maybe even home against Iowa. You could be an underdog in almost half the schedule, and if you need to get to Indianapolis at seven and two, you're probably talking two, maybe three upsets. So you got to figure that out, and to get to that point, you got to have playmakers. You got an O line. You got to have a D line. So you guys are right on the money. Biggest question mark going in. What do you think, Daniel? We'll start with you. Ooh, biggest question mark. I would say, like I said, defensive tackle, just figuring out last year, you know, Niles Pinckney was a really key contributor. You look at the numbers and the impact that he had relative to other defensive tackles in the country. Uh, I'm just interested to see how that group comes together. I, I saw a lot of progress. Like it's it's going to be a more of a rotation. You aren't going to see like four guys out there all the time. And this is the this is the defensive line where they'll mix and match based upon certain matchups. So that should help significantly. Also, I'm I'm just fascinated outside i know we talk about dalen wright 
and we talk about Chris Oppen, Bell, and Brevin Span Ford, but who emerges behind those guys? Mm-hmm. Is it like Mike Brown Stevens? Is he the player that takes a step forward? Do they use him a little bit more creatively to take advantage of his skills? Um, I, I want to see how that back half of the wide receiver room sort of develops and if they can maybe find one more dynamic weapon in that group. Randy Johnson? I'm going to go a little bit uh, wild card here. Um, who emerges to be a reasonable effect suddenly of Coquift? Is Nick Callerup going to take that role by the horns and become that physical blocker? You know, I think we were treated to uh, watching one of the best tight end blockers in, in, in quite a while, a uh, couple years. Uh, you know, when they would move uh, – go in motion and he come down on a defensive end it, it was uh, pretty <laughs> fun to watch lights out yeah no doubt okay and ryan i'll say the offensive line again a lot of starts that were, they're replacing now they do, got it with two guards they're sixth year guys so gone are the days where we're, we're having to watch go for football that's got teenagers along the offensive line you have two six-year guys and axel rushmeyer and michigan transfer chuck filiaga both have started games the last couple of seasons but how do they work alongside remington candidate john michael schmitz and then the tackle position as well. I mean, I think it's definitely different expectations for both tackles. Left tackle, if you've heard any P.J. Fleck talk about his offensive line here in the offseason, it's just exponential expectations for left tackle Ariante Arisri. Now, I think we all, three of us or all four of us would agree, the ceiling for him is as high as any go for left tackle I've covered in 12 years. It's he moves a different way. He looks a different way than other previous left tackles. But I think expectations for 2022 should be held in check because he's got one career start. No doubt. There's going to be bumps along the way, but there's certainly a ceiling there. And then on the flip side at right tackle, it's who is the right tackle? Is it Quinn Carroll, the Notre Dame transfer? Is it Martez Lewis in his third season? And I know Fleck talked about here in the last week that maybe they rotate. Now, I personally can't stand offensive line rotations. I saw it in previous years, so we know that Fleck has a history of doing it with guys like Curtis Dunlap and Blaze Andrews come to mind a couple seasons ago, but I want Minnesota to figure out who their right tackle is. They have three games to audition in the non-conference between New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and then Colorado, but figure out who your right tackle is, figure out who your five are going into Big Ten play, but that offensive line is going to play a huge part. Yeah, I agree. I have offensive line-specific pass protection, um, which I thought was part of their they're they're at times in that Bowling Green game, as weird as this sounds, because Bowling Green we know is not a very good team. Part of why I think they didn't place that game more in Tanner Morgan's hands wasn't a lack of trust in Tanner Morgan. It was they could not figure out some of those those pass yeah. rushing schemes and Tanner was getting killed and they're like the best chance is to hand it off right now. And that was with guys who had a million starts. So now you're bringing in some new guys. Um, they got to figure out how to pass pro because uh, Tanner's, you know, he's not what we saw that Nebraska guy do where he made a 12 second play and then threw, you know, nearly a touchdown. Um, he is, hey, you're going to step up maybe. He might be able to avoid, uh, you know, the, the, you know, he might be able to move the pocket a step or two. Um, but he's not a guy that's going to just you know scramble away for five, six, eight seconds like Fran Tarkenton and uh, and then find a receiver. So he's going to need a clean pocket. And when he had a clean pocket in 2019, man, he was all conference. So to me, pass protection will be uh, one of the big things. We can talk pass catchers. We can talk Tanner Morgan about hey how to make that passing game more efficient and more proficient. Um, but pass protection will be a key part of that. Uh, biggest strength, Ryan Burns of this team. Where where do you have not many worries? Depth defensively. I know this one's kind of been beaten into the ground no matter who you listen to, but they have the opportunity to rotate 10 guys in the defensive line and legitimately have it shouldn't be a, a huge drop-off in play, which, again, this is where it should be. In year six of a Big Ten program, you should have depth. I think they have four or five linebackers they trust. They have five, six, seven guys in the secondary that they trust, and that's the beautiful part about it is in house and can – Uh, get into the specifics of it, but they have the versatility to do a lot of different things. What I mean by that is you want different defensive linemen playing against, say, Iowa and Wisconsin, maybe some heavier set guys, more against the run, than you do against the, say, Purdue's of the world, where one's an air spread, one's we're going to see three, four tight ends out there. They have the versatility to maybe one guy's strength is another guy's weakness, but you have the versatility to – Maybe Michael Dixon plays a lot more against the Wisconsin's and the Iowa's of the world, where Ryan Stapp plays more against the Purdue's of the world. So I think defensive depth is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Daniel? 
Yeah, I would agree with this. I, w- I would say the same thing. And the cool aspect of the defense this year is, like you said, being able to mix and match. When you're playing more physical receivers, which there are a lot of those taller possession-style receivers, you can kind of mix and match how you use your DBs based upon the personnel they have. This is the best overall personnel that Rossi's had to work with. And he knows that when he's playing it, a team he has answers where before maybe it's like this isn't an ideal player to put in this matchup but we just got to get by now it's like okay if you're playing a pass heavy team like purdue you can lean a little more on staff and then you can play more of a base personnel with still the nickel athleticism with uh michael dixon in the game and that's the player i'm interested in because yeah. i think joe rossi using him as a sort of a hybrid player gives your defense a lot of unique elements. And how does he build off some of the things that they did last year? But also, this is a brand new defense. The secondary is a strength. You can be more aggressive with the front seven and do some cool things that really keep defenses, uh, keep offensive lines kind of off off kilter. Randy? Yeah, I'm gonna, it's going to be a clean sweep here, depth in the defense, and especially in the secondary. Uh, you, know, you, you look at a, a guy like Tyler Newbin, the the way he came on last year, um, it, you know, that's that's a situation where they're strong there. Uh, J- Justin Wally gives himself, gives them a great shutdown corner. I, I just think they're they're set pretty well there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and and I, I if I got more specific, I would say secondary uh, with the caveat that um, that secondary now is so talented and deep that they do now need to start forcing some more turnovers. Uh, you know, they were really efficient. You know, they were one of the best third down teams last year and they didn't give up many explosive plays. The safeties kept stuff in front of them. But if there was one area, it's, um, you know, go go pick off a football, you know, go go uh, be in the right spot and make make some plays that way as well. And if they can do that, then, uh, man, that would be the next big step, certainly, you know. Um, and it, I don't think anyone's saying, hey, w- you know, one of those guys has got to be Antoine Winfield, who changed games, you know, almost weekly. But, you know, one interception could certainly uh, mean the difference between winning and losing. And so uh, I would say that's probably the next step for that group. And uh, I think it'll be a fun one to watch. All right, real quickly here, we got a couple more. Uh, the player most likely to have a breakout season, maybe somebody we've heard of, but just hasn't maybe stuck numbers up yet. Uh, We'll start with Randy. Uh, I'm going to go da- with Dalen Wright. Uh, they've been talking him up, the coaching staff, uh, all all training camp. Uh, it, it really seems like he's putting things together, uh, and just that athleticism he has, it, you know, it, it's it's off the charts. He he can really be a difference maker. Daniel, I'm going with Michael Dixon, and I'm saying that just because the, he's such a unique talent. You, you haven't had a player that can do all the things that he can have the physicality and the athleticism, the movement skills to really, you know, have him be in a run fit as needed, but then be able to cover receivers on the backside when needed. Like he gives you that Jeremiah Wusukormoa type of skill set. And how will Rossi blend him in and then also kind of tweak that cornerback toolbox to match up against some of the personnel they face that I just think he's going to be around the football and, and make some big plays. And Ryan? Keep it quick, but I'll say one on each side. Terrell Smith in his fifth year, mm-hmm. and then Brevin Spanford in his fifth year. Yeah, I think all three of us would tell you that if you went to a Gopher football fall practice, Terrell Smith was the best corner that Minnesota had out there. And he was consistently locking down Chris Ottman Bell. I know we've seen this story before. We saw it last year, and it didn't translate. Well, I'm going to say it translates this year in Minnesota has a pretty good corner out there. And then Brevin Spanford, I mean, if we want to get bold here, I will say this. Brevin Spanford is the first gopher football tight end to catch 40 passes since Spaith? Mr. Spaith yeah, back thinking. in 2007. Yeah. Max Williams never got there in that 2014 season. He caught 36 passes. I'm going to say Brevin catches 40 passes this year. And considering the guy's got 28 career catches in his three years of playing, I'm going to say Brevin yeah. and Terrell Smith have a couple of Great seasons guy. to remember. He had 23 catches last year and a touchdown. And yeah, I, I'd even go as far as saying he could double that. You know, if they, you know, and you, you talk to people, everyone it. thinks it's easier, right? Everyone, oh, just get it to the tight end. But it's funny, you talk to Gopher fans, and if you listen to them, the guy should have 70 catches next year. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's amazing. But um, I had Dalen Wright listed, um, but since Randy stole mine, I'm going to say a guy, um, I'm going to say Thomas Rush, just in the sense that, um, 
Um, people forget he started half the season last year, in, and it wasn't Boye Mafe. And that doesn't mean Boye wasn't any good. Obviously, it was dependent on you know who's playing, style of play. Um, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me. But Boye have like six and a half sacks, and Thomas had five and a half. And we don't talk. I don't. I think he's probably one of the underrated guys that could have a big impact here because I think he'll play more on third down, which will give him a chance to pin the ears back and do some pass rushing. So I'll throw him on that list just because um, Randy and I were on the same page. So we'll, we'll we'll throw one more guy some love with uh, with Thomas Rush as a as a rush in. Now the next one is someone that nobody knows about in general. Like you guys have watched practice, so you know. Uh, uh, but somebody, if you just walked up to even an average Gopher fan, you know, a red shirt or somebody that's been injured uh, that might pop off the page um, by the time the year's done and and become a guy that, oh man, this is a this is a player that's turned into a bona fide Big Tenner here. What do you think, Ryan? We'll start with you. All right, if we're gonna go obscure, I'm gonna say Jalen Logan Redding, okay. someone that redshirted this past season, someone played in four games, and I think he's going to be the guy that leads the team and and snaps at that five technique position, which is the one that Asesi played for so many years here. Uh, someone that I didn't know what kind of player he was going to be. I just had him pegged after the season, after what I had seen in 21 as kind of a run-stopping guy. Well, I think he has really uh, taken a step forward with new D-line coach Brick Haley, which if you want seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, the reason why Jalen Logan Redding ended up at Minnesota, he was committed to Missouri. He's from Columbia, Missouri, of all places. His defensive line coach he was committed to, Brick Haley. Brick Haley gets fired or gets let go. Well, <laughs> Jalen Logan Redding opens up his recruitment, ends up at Minnesota, and three years later they get reunited. So I, I'm sure there's no one more excited than Jalen Logan Redding that Brick Haley's now here. But I'm saying that Jalen Logan Redding becomes a very functional player in his third year at Minnesota. I like that one. Good one. All right, Daniel House, Gopher Guru, what do you got? I'm going with Ja Joyner, and I say that just because I think he's going to be prominently featured in the pass rushing packages. It was a tie between him and Austin Booker for me because I feel like both of them have just unique athletic traits that you can really maximize in certain games. And that's that's the cool thing about this defense is there'll be a lot of guys that flash occasionally that you're going, okay, this is a young player just because they have the depth and the ability, like we said, to match the personnel. And then if I went with one on the offensive side, I'd have to probably say might not contribute right away, but I have an eye on Ike White. Like he's crafty after the catch. He can help you underneath, do some things for you. I don't think he's probably going to contribute right away, but a name to really keep an eye on. I yeah. think he's got a chance to be a very good player. I, I agree. I, I'd say next year when when we four get together at this week to do the preview, Ike White will be the that, – that's the guy that people will say he'll have breakout because then he's going to get a chance, right? Because you're going to mm-hmm. uh, have a you know at least one or two of those receivers gone. So I, I like that. I, that. You're going long range with that one. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping in. I'm going to say – because you mentioned him, Booker. I have Austin Booker as mine because I watched him on the scout team last year continually get into the backfield, and then we watched him in the spring game basically be the player, in my opinion, the player of the game on defense. So I'm not going to let Randy steal my guy if he had him. So I'm going Austin <laughs> Booker as the breakout guy. We may not, and, and and Daniel, I'm going, I'm going to take a page out of your book. We may not, it, it may be October, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, this guy's coming on. And then by November, he's having an impact, but that will be my prediction. And, and uh, batting cleanup here, Randy Johnson. Ah, uh, this one's going to be a little bit un- unconventional, but I'm going to go with Hunter Mark Crawford. Um, he go. has done a very good job of uh, pinning opponents inside their 20, inside their 10. I uh, don't have uh, Philip Howard to, to catch that uh, this year. Hopefully they can develop somebody uh, along those lines that do it well. But he, I'm very impressed with with, it, with his performance last year. And I think he's going to uh, build on that this year. He mm-hmm. has been impressive in practice. Holy yes. cow, the ball is bouncing off his foot. I think they're also taking a little – we'll see if it if it holds true. Um, it, you know, they, they are an old-school group, and that's fine, of coaches. Um, but I think uh, they're going to take a little bit of the governor uh, off of him and let him – try to flip the field maybe uh, a little more because I think part of their strategy has been hey, kick it high and don't let them return it for a touchdown and let's not risk giving up one. I think I think, we'll see. I think they're going to let him 
send it loose and try to flip the field on occasion because he has an incredible leg and that's why he was highly recruited coming out of uh, coming out of Australia with all the seems like every team now has an Australian punter I like that that's a good pick there Randy mm-hmm. Johnson all right we got just a couple left um, whiteout game at Penn State I mean that that's a marquee spot for the Golden Gophers to to show up at um, first of all are all you guys going to be able to make it are we going to have a get together at the American Ale House on Friday night before the game and then go watch the uh, the whiteout and secondly uh, if you are able to make it uh, how exciting is that for this gopher team to now kind of and I get it sometimes it's the schedule and what games are prime time and all that but uh, for Penn State to say Minnesota we're going to put you on the whiteout I thought Ryan was pretty cool yeah I think they did for a few different reasons I think number one you look at where that game falls in the schedule for Penn State it is sandwiched in between what is projected to be two top five top ten teams in Ohio State and Michigan so I think James Franklin knew that he didn't want this to be the quote-unquote trap game yeah Penn State. Now, I think it's exciting for Minnesota because, number one, again, if you don't want to go at that angle, I think the other angle would be Penn State thinks you're good enough to be um, the whiteout opponent. Now, Penn State's won four of the last five whiteout games, but I also know that essentially since Minnesota played Penn State last in that 2019, it hasn't really gone well for Penn State. In 2020 and 2021, they are 11-11. 500 record for James Franklin the last two seasons. And then, frankly, that's not good enough for them. Yeah. And that's where it's going to be. If Penn State's going to go from being a pretender to a contender, this is the type of game that they have to win. And that's where, I mean, this is going to be one of the most intimidating environments I think Flex played in in his six years at Minnesota is that's 110,000 plus fans right on your neck at night. I mean, it's going to be a tremendous test for Minnesota. Randy Johnson's excited about the 6.30 kickoff, so it messes with his deadline, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I know you guys yeah, love those uh, those night games. Uh, that's going to be very fun, but, you know, that's 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 part of our job. But, um, no, I, I'm excited, too, about this. Um, I I worked in the State College for five years for the Center Daily Times, a newspaper there, so I, you know, I was covering Penn State football. So this is back in the early 90s, so it's been a long time ago, but I'm – I'm uh, very excited to get back there and see what the state's college is like. I haven't been there since 03, I believe it is. And uh, just, yeah, just looking forward to, uh, you know, the atmosphere there. I remember when Penn State uh, went into the Big Ten, uh, just the whole vibe that that town got when, uh, say, Michigan came in for the first time, Ohio State for the first time. And, you, you know, you have 100. Back then it was 90-some thousand. Yeah. Now it's 110 at, at that erector set. So it's uh, – it, it should be a fun time. Daniel, are you going to be able to make it to State College? I haven't decided my travel schedule yet, so we'll <laughs> see what, what road games I make it to in the budget. But I, I'm very intrigued by this matchup just because I feel kind of like Birdsey said that this program, Penn State, has underachieved. And I look at their roster and I pinpoint one area. I go, okay, their O-line has a lot of moving pieces. They're pretty young. Their left tackle has one career start. Their left guards appeared in three games. Their center's got 13 starts. Their right guard missed the entire season due to injury, had minimal experience before that. I mean, really, their right tackle has 20 career starts, and that's the most experienced aspect of that O-line. So I'm watching how does that O-line come together. I know Minnesota plays them later, so some of that will get worked out. But they have not been able to run the football last year. Last season, they ranked 120th out of 130 team FBS teams in offensive rush EPA per play. So I'm looking at them going, okay, are they able to run the ball? They have a lot of talented players in the backfield, but will that O-line come together? Can Minnesota win up front? in that game. Yeah, it's a lot of games between now and then, but I'm looking forward to that one as well. And of course, the home game uh, late November with Iowa. Uh, at the end of the day, it could come down to who wins the pig in terms of who's going to Indianapolis. So, who is going to Indianapolis? Final question, go go for podcast episode 34. Randy Johnson, Minneapolis Star Tribune, who wins the West and why? Uh, I uh, picked Wisconsin. Uh, I'm probably not the most confident in the world in that pick, but uh, I just thought that you know the overall depth of the program would would uh, carry them through. Um, it's they're going to have some issues. I know uh, they need Graham Mertz to play a lot better than he has. They they uh, need to develop develop some pass catchers. I I do think uh, their defense will be pretty good. Um, you, you have Jim Leonard as their coordinator. He's done a very good job there. Um, I, yeah, I just think their overall depth will will, uh, will carry it. 
Yeah, and that's a program that's used to going, and they've not gone in what two or three years now. So they're they're going to be hungry. I, I think that hunger's a part of it as well. All right, Ryan Burns, who wins the West and why? Well, uh, I voted on the Cleveland.com poll this year, and I was one of the two people on that poll to vote Minnesota. Oh, now the way I see it, Daniel, can you, you sing can... the rouser while Ryan's? Uh... Yeah. No, I'm just teasing. Go ahead, let's so, hear it. So this the way I see it is, you can flip a coin between any of the three teams. Uh, and I think it comes down to two things. Number one, the schedule, and specifically the crossover schedule between Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Iowa's got both Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule. Minnesota's got neither, and Wisconsin's got to travel to the horseshoe. I think that's yeah. going to be Matt. I think that's going to mean something. Now, I understand that road games against Penn State and Michigan State are very tough as well, but Michigan and Ohio State to me are in a tier above. I think any other teams in the Big Ten. I also think that Minnesota is the team that I have the least amount of question marks about offensively. You have Tanner Morgan back as his fifth year, Kirk Sharaka back, your top five pass catchers back from last season, Mo Ibrahim, Trey Potts. You look at Wisconsin, Graham Mertz, not great. Uh, someone in and his last nineteen out now. Games, yeah, someone in his last nineteen games, fifty-eight percent completion percentage. More interceptions than touchdowns. And oh, by the way, they've hitched their wagon to him and the number two quarterback for Wisconsin's now out for the year. So something happens there to Graham Mertz. I don't know that it's going to necessarily bode well. And then with Iowa, it's just those two crossover games. Yeah. Are, I mean, that's that's a big that's a big deal for me. Is those are, I mean, potentially two losses. Again, you have to travel, I believe, to Ohio State, and then they get Michigan at home. Yeah. Now, I've seen Iowa do it before, winning those, those, you know, those ranked opponents, top 10 opponents at home. But it's also, is this, can Spencer Petras do it? <laughs> I mean, they're going to be without Tyler Goodson. They're without Tyler Linderbaum as well. I want to see it that now that Kirk Ferentz has his son as the quarterback's coach and running that offense, I want to be able to see it. But I think the larger point is just flip a coin. I mean, I don't think it's 85% Wisconsin to win the West like the Cleveland.com poll would indicate. I think it's you can flip a coin between any of those three teams. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and uh, with Iowa, don't forget their part of what they were successful because their offense wasn't very good last year was all those hidden yards. Um, on They flipped the field a lot with their punter. And then they flip the field a lot with their punt returner, and that punt returner is now at Purdue, which which leads me to a thought that you're making it a three-team race, Bernsey. I think Purdue is going to be in the mix mm-hmm. in this thing. I really do. One, because of the schedule. they don't. Not only do they not play Ohio State or Michigan, they don't play Michigan State either. Right. They get the benefit, and no offense to Indiana, they play Indiana in the crossover every year. Uh, because the old oak and bucket, they couldn't put that aside. So they get a little benefit there uh, because Indiana, let's face it, is is not Michigan, is not Michigan State, Penn State, even Maryland in, in, in some years. Anyway, Daniel House, who wins the West and why? I like your Purdue take. I, you, you said exactly what I was going to say. It, it, October 1st, the game against Purdue, if Minnesota wins that game, I think you're going to feel really good about the future upcoming games because I think Purdue will be healthy at that point. And that's the factor that I think will contribute to potentially them falling off the wagon is if they get a couple of defensive players hurt, especially in their secondary, that will be kind of the issue that they face. And also I think like, you know, looking at their playmakers, it might take a little bit to kind of get that to jelly of two Iowa transfers coming in. And Jeff Brom said, that's kind of the key to their, success this season, but I would go with Minnesota winning the West just because I think they have the most answers defensively being able to match up against any team that you're going to play like Purdue mentioning it, being able to use, you know, Ryan staff a little bit more out of the nickel to match up against them, being able to spread the field out. And then you can play Wisconsin and Iowa with the base personnel stuff to really match their running game and slow that down. And I think the quarterback play Minnesota's got the best quarterback play of those teams outside i think purdue and minnesota have level quarterback play with aiden o'connell and tanner morgan so that's a team i'm watching but i think minnesota will have the edge of games at home they play purdue and iowa at home we didn't mention that either as well i think that's a huge advantage to have those two games at home because those are the matchups that could be pivotal yeah no doubt well i like bernsey and daniel's picks better than randy's but i think they're all (laughs) legit like you said the cleveland uh, pick was a clear wisconsin pick and i do think look if if all those teams keep their head above water what a november we're gonna have right i mean that is gonna be as good of a november incredible for those final few games of the season be, be amazing. And then if the Gophers 
are in Indianapolis, there's an outside chance that means eventually they could get to Pasadena and the years that that's going to be a possibility, not just to win it, but just that that game's going to exist. Who knows? Um, man, what a, what a year it could be. Uh, and this is the time of year to really think positive thoughts and to think, uh, you know, uh, grand, uh, you know, ideas of grandeur, so to speak, for the granddaddy of them all. So we'll see you guys Thursday night uh, at the stadium on campus. Can't wait. Uh, football season is here. Uh, I, I kept you a little longer than I promised, and um, I do appreciate it. It was good stuff. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Grim. Thanks. Appreciate it, Mike. My thanks to Ryan Burns, Randy Johnson, and Daniel House for offering their great insight to us here on the Go Gopher Podcast, episode number 34. We're nearing kickoff for Minnesota. I hope you enjoyed hearing their great intel as much as I enjoyed hosting those three guests. The Go Gopher Podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com. We once again welcome our new partner, Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union. So many great people there. We're always proud to talk about them. And we're also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please be sure to click the subscribe button if you haven't done so already on the Go Gopher podcast right now. It's free to listen. You can also share the link on your social media channels to let others know about our show. We'll talk again next week.